Our guest on Personally Speaking this week is the legendary Catholic news editor, Ed Wilkinson. Please stay with us. Welcome to Personally Speaking. I'm your host, Monsignor Jim Lasanti, and Ed Wilkinson joins me now. Ed recently debuted his new book called Chasing Church News, a 50-year look back at the history of the Diocese of Brooklyn, which features photographs and reflections by the tablet editor. Ed was the editor of the tablet, the Brooklyn Diocesan newspaper, from 1985 until 2018, when he assumed the title of Editor Emeritus. The book, Ed says, contains some of his favorite photographs as well as historically significant photos that he took throughout his career. Ed can be seen on Currents, the daily Catholic news show on NETTV, and he hosts the weekly NETTV show On the Block, an interview show that features the priests of the metropolitan area in their home neighborhoods. Ed is a lifelong resident of Brooklyn. He attended Cathedral Prep, Cathedral College in Douglaston, and studied theology at Immaculate Conception Seminary. Ed and his wife, Sheila, and their son, Edward Daniel, live in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. He's here with us today to talk about his life, his career, his Catholic journalism, and the Catholic faith and values that sustain him, and his new book called Chasing Church News. Joining me now, I'm so pleased to welcome to Personally Speaking, Ed Wilkinson. All right, we're here with Ed Wilkinson. We're going to be talking about a lot of things, among them Chasing Church News, his wonderful new book. But before we get into that, Ed, um, you know, when a guy is a Catholic active in his church, faithful guy, as you have been for many years. I, I have to wonder about the family of origin. So one thing I've never known about you, the people who raised you, your parents, what did they do right, and, and how did you get introduced to the faith? Oh, gee, uh, the, the faith uh, has always been an integral part of my life. I mean, I was raised in a very Catholic home in uh, Brooklyn, in Greenpoint. Uh-huh. Uh, and, you know, we belonged, we were very tight. We were big parishioners at St. Alphonsus Church in, uh, in Greenpoint. Okay. And um, my parents would just always took us to Mass on Sunday. We went to Catholic schools. We were raised in the faith. So to me, it's, uh, it's just been part of my DNA. You know, I'm, I'm a Catholic, and uh, it's, it's part of who I am. Now, Ed, what do the parents think when, uh, at least for a while, you did time, a significant while, you did time in the seminary? Were they for it, against it? How did they react to that? Well, you know, they, they thought that was going to be a great idea that, uh, you know, I was the only son. I have three sisters. And they oh. said, oh, great. You know, was, he's going to be a priest because I had been an altar server and all of that. And very mm -hmm. close to the church, very active, went to cathedral prep, the uh, high school seminary and the college. And then I actually did uh, one year of study at the major seminary in, in Huntington. Mm -hmm. And uh, and at that point, I just decided that uh I wanted to do in a, go in another direction, and uh, right. there was a little bit of heartbreak in the family. I have to say, you know, they were a bit disappointed, but yeah. uh, eventually we worked it all out. Oh, that's great, though. So a lot yeah. of what what you are is very much the things that they did and and shaped that they and the, and the priests that you met along the way, which obviously was a good experience for you. You know, when we hear these right. uh, some of the horror stories, I look back on just about every priest I ever knew growing up, and and they were insp inspiring for me. So. Yeah. Uh, now, for those who don't know, Ed Wilkinson, aside from writing this book, 
is this kind of legend in Catholic journalism. He's been doing it forever, <laughs> basically since he left the seminary, essentially. But I, I ask you that because I got to ask you, what's happening to Catholic journalism? I'll give you an example. When I worked at the Christopher's as their director, uh, the column would go out to 300 newspapers around the country. There's no way there's 300 newspapers right now that are still publishing Catholic stuff. And you you at the tablet, you guys are the last man standing, as it were, with Catholic New York gone now, Long Island Catholic gone. What's happened to Catholic journalism? Why is there so little left? And how in the world does the tablet keep on keeping on? <laughs> well, you know, you're right. Uh, you see, dioceses choose to uh, close their newspapers and to go in new directions and to take on social media and all these other platforms. But I think they're being very short-sighted because uh, I think there's still a place for newspaper, mm. for print journalism. It, it's been such a part of uh, of who we are as a Catholic church, and it's and it's such a great way to evangelize. And there are still people who who want to read newspapers. You know, there are especially the people who are in our pews, the right, older people. Right. <laughs> they're more, they're comfortable sitting reading a newspaper. They don't want to go online and read their news. So yeah. I think a lot of dioceses have been very short-sighted when they when they cut their uh, diocesan the newspapers. And like you say. The tablet is the last one standing in New York City, yeah. uh, which really surprises. I mean, it doesn't surprise us that we're still here because right. the, the tablet has really been built on a solid foundation. It's over 100 years old. We were founded in 1908, and it's uh, it's always been noted for serious Catholic journalism. Mm -hmm. And we take on the issues. We talk about all of the issues. Uh, we're faithful to the church and to the Holy yeah. Father and uh you know, thank God we're still standing because there's a real commitment in our diocese uh, still to all of the aspects of uh, of media, print mm -hmm. and also social media and television. We try to stay involved in all of it. And we've wrapped all of our communications efforts into one entity called the sales media. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and through that, we help each other. You know, TV feeds off the uh, the print, the print feeds off the social media. And we kind of work all together in conjunction as one big media platform. And uh, I think there's always going to be a place for print journalism. And like I say, I wish uh, some diocese would take a second look yeah. at uh, you know what they're doing. Even we saw Catholic News Service, which is the U.S. bishops. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a valuable news service, very, very valuable to the, to, the, to all of our papers in the, in the country. And we saw them fold because of decisions that had to be made in priorities. Financial, usually. It's usually financial yeah. problems. And uh, But I think uh, it's short-sighted. We sh yeah. should make a I mean, to print journalism. And I'm just glad that the tablet is still there to try to lead the way. No, it's a tablet still always was and still is a great source of information. And, and you know, the alternative, Ed, unfortunately, is that there's still going to be secular newspapers out there that are not always kind to the church. And uh, it's it's another voice when we have Catholic press that matters. And now, can you explain to us this, this overarching organization called the Sales Media? How did they come to pick the name of St. Francis de Sales to uh, organize themselves? <laughs> well, St. Francis de Sales is the, uh, the patron of Catholic journalists. He was a uh, you know, a great archbishop, and uh, he, he communicated a lot in letters. He, he was a, a writer himself. Mm -hmm. And so he's always been the uh, patron saint of Catholic writers and Catholic journalists. So uh, back in, uh, I guess it was about 2012, Bishop DiMarzio had this idea of taking all of the different communications efforts in our diocese and folding it into one corporation. And I think he had a lot of foresight in doing that. Uh, and he put Monsignor Kieran Harrington at the time in charge mm -hmm. of that. 
And he said, you know, let's instead of having a tablet corporation over here and a, uh, a prayer channel over here, let's put everybody together, work together, feed off each other, and then strengthen us up as a foundation. And I think it's worked very well. You know, yeah. we all work together, all different aspects of the media. And, uh, you know, we, we, we help each other with stories. We give story. We trade contacts with each other. Mm -hmm. It's it's really been a great cooperative effort, and I I think it should be a model that other people should follow. It takes a real commitment, though. It takes a financial commitment, and Bishop Damasio was uh, he was willing to make that at the time, and and I think it's paid off. The efforts have paid off. Ed Wilkinson's our guest, uh, the editor emeritus of the the Brooklyn Tablet. You know, um, one of the things about you, Ed, because you have dealt with uh, being a, a journalist and an editor for so many years, is that You've seen people who will lead our church come and go. And I'm intrigued because even just the past 30 years, you have someone like John Paul and someone like Benedict and someone like Francis. My point is that the church ideologically kind of swings sometimes. You know, there's people <laughs> yes. conservative, people less conservative, people are called progressive. And, and I'm just wondering, when you were trying to put out a product for the Catholic Church, but the leaders of the church seem to be going in one direction or another— what do you do? Like, do you do you stay anchored in one particular point of view, or do you have to move with the wind to kind of change direction because the leadership has changed? Well, you know, the tablet uh, for many, many years was a very, very conservative, traditional newspaper yeah. under Patrick Scanlon, who was a, yes. a real giant in the Catholic journalism. And then in, in the late 60s, uh, editor Don Zirkel, who recently passed away, uh, he took over the reins and he really... He moved the paper in the direction of the Second Vatican Council, and, and it became more open and more liberal. And a lot of people, some people got confused by it. They, they couldn't understand all the changes. So when I took over the paper in 1985, one of the things was that I, I tried to shift the paper more into the center. Mm -hmm. And I wanted the newspaper to be a place where no matter where you were as a Catholic, you could still pick up the tablet each week and see yourself reflected in it in some way. And that was a challenge, you know, no doubt about it. It was a challenge. Sometimes you alienated people on either side. But mm -hmm. the thing was to uh, try to stay where the people are at, let uh, peop the people in the pews have a place that they could uh, say what they want to say and keep them informed, but always remaining faithful to what the core message of the church is. So it's, sometimes it's a difficult balancing act, and, and politically it can be tough at times. You have to uh, chart a... Uh, uh, you know, a very wise course, but uh, but it, it works for us. It, and I think that's probably where the tablet still is. We, you know, where uh, the main thing is to remain faithful to the church, to remain faithful to the teaching, you know, to the Holy Father, and uh, and then to, to make the paper an open forum where people can have their say about how they feel about the church and what they think about uh, the movements and where, where things are going, and always reflect with the church, you know, not to try to impose a certain ideology on anybody, but allow the paper to reflect where the church is at in those times. Okay, now, actually, that's a perfect segue. Ed Wilkinson's our guest, a good old friend of yours, Monsignor Frank Maniscalco, who was editor of Long Island Catholic, used to... Wonderful, wonderful uh, guy, yeah. Wonderful guy, talented guy, head of media relations for the bishops for a while, but he used to uh, put into the uh, Long Island Catholic, or allow in, Letters sometimes that were strongly in disagreement with something the church stood for or the way uh, something was presented in the newspaper, because he believed that the paper should be uh, open to, as you say, many expressions of how people come at the church. But I know he got grief from people saying 
It should just say what the church says, and anyone who doesn't agree with us, you shouldn't publish this stuff. How did you handle the balancing act of, you know, for instance, even letters to the editor, when people are taking you or anybody else to task, you still put them in there sometimes. Absolutely. Um, you know, we yeah. tried to give we tried to give everybody their say. And uh, mm -hmm. I remember doing a, a, a TV show out at Telecare with uh, Monsignor Maniscalco, yes. and Bishop McGann was on at the time, and he was the publisher of the Long Island Catholic and he was really a, a great open publisher. You know, he was open to those ideas. And he agreed with Monsignor Frank yeah. that you have to allow the paper to reflect uh, the thinking of Catholics and, and people where they're at. Give them their say. And then mm. the, everybody, everybody should be able to find a place for themselves in the newspaper. So you do take grief. And yeah. sometimes I got called on the carpet, no doubt about it. And, you know, I made a beeline down to the chancery and had to sit down and, and talk with uh, certain officials in the diocese. But it's a balancing act. You know, you, you don't you don't want to go too far, but you want to give people their say and uh, let, let the paper reflect what the thinking of the people in the pews are. Yeah, no doubt about it. Ed Wilkins's book, Chasing Church News, also reintroduced me to someone that Bishop McGann, obviously, I loved. He was a, a man very active in my life. But um, I also loved and admired, and it's interesting, I don't think young people know even who he was. You celebrate a number of times here, Bishop Francis McGovero. Can you oh, tell yeah. our listeners and viewers something about this incredible Bishop of Brooklyn? <laughs> Bishop uh, Bishop McGovero was, uh, you know, we, we he was a mensch, they say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, yeah. he was just an extraordinary human being. So... Uh, uh, he was a, a very affable man. He was a mm -hmm. real man of the church, but he was open to new ideas and he was willing to allow the church to move and to uh, uh, allow some of these new ideas to take hold in the church and to have an expression. And he really allowed the Catholic press to flourish. Uh, he gave me my job back in 1985 when, when Don Zirkle retired and moved on to other fields. Uh, I got the job uh, and uh, there was some movement at that time or some feeling that there should be a priest editor. You know, they wanted uh, some people wanted uh, the bishop to sit on the Catholic press a little bit more. But he was open to keeping a layman in place. And he appointed me and he called me down and he said, uh, you know, this is what you have. He said, watch out when you write those headlines. He said, sometimes those headlines can get you into trouble. <laughs> uh, then he said it. And he said, you know, if you can try to keep me out of trouble. And I said, yeah. okay, okay, Bishop. I said, I'll try to do that. I'll do but my best, that's, right? That's the kind of guy he was. He was a real human being. And uh, uh, he, he knew everybody by name. Yeah. I remember as a young reporter walking along and he called me one day and said, Ed, Ed. And I said, oh, my God, the Bishop knows my name. You know, <laughs> that's the kind of guy Bishop McGovern was. He knew everybody in the diocese. Yeah. He took a personal interest in you. As uh, That's what you felt like. He, you felt like he took a personal interest in you. And and how you were doing, he would always ask, how are you? And he was always very cooperative. Uh, I remember uh, you'd, you'd be taking a picture and he'd be blessing a little child, maybe. And he'd hold that pose. And, I, and yeah. then he looked, he said, do you have it? I said, yeah, I got it. <laughs> Isn't that great? Now, you know, we, everyone walks a fine line. I, I wondered how you guys handled this back in the time. One of the members of your diocese was, of course, Governor Mario Cuomo. Uh, yeah. who was uh, wrong on the issue of life. and uh, But there's, yeah. on the one hand, Cardinal O'Connor, who I, I loved and admired too, but he was having none of it in terms of Mario Cuomo. And yet your bishop seemed to be, McGovero, both friendly to Cuomo, but at the same time upholding church teaching. Uh, what was the gift of personality he had to 
respectfully disagree, be, disagree, but not be disagreeable, even with people like Mario Cuomo. Yeah, well, that was uh, that was a real balancing act, and as yeah. you say, gift. It was a gift that Bishop uh, Magabro had. Mm. He strongly disagreed with uh, Mario Cuomo on abortion, of course, yeah. and he, uh, the bishop, uh, never wavered on his position on on abortion. And the governor was just flat out wrong. But yeah. in order to maintain a dialogue, uh, Bishop Magabro was always friendly to. I, I was at president a couple of times when the two of them would get together. And Mario Cuomo would always show respect. He kissed the bishop's ring to mm. show that uh, you know he was uh, uh, he knew that the bishop was the church authority, but he was wrong on that issue. And 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 uh, but Bishop Agarro never confronted him, uh, say publicly. He right. spoke to him, I'm sure, in private a number of times. Yeah. But uh, the bishop took a political. Uh, the, I mean, the uh, the governor took a political issue which was wrong, and uh, we were we were made no doubt about it. We always said that. We expressed that, that he would know he was a, a native son of the Brooklyn Diocese and a Catholic. He was a faithful Catholic. Yeah. He was just wrong on that issue. And, right, uh, right, right. But, but, but Bishop McGovern, as you say, he had a gift for being able to disagree with somebody, but still uh, maintain a congenial, open dialogue with them. And uh, he had Mario's ear. You know, the, the yeah. two of them. <laughs> They, they, they could talk, you know, and I'm sure they talked. And uh, and they were paisans, uh, you know, they were good. Oh, paisans. absolutely. <laughs> you know, <laughs> one of the other, one of the other guys, the <laughs> one of the other sons of Brooklyn, of course, before Mario Cuomo was Governor Hugh Carey, and we had him on on the program a few times. But I mentioned it because it goes to your point about Bishop McGovern quietly, gently, probably challenging Mario, because uh, Governor Carey would say, you know, I was called in quietly, privately by Cardinal Cook, he told me I was wrong on a bunch of stuff, but he didn't hold a press conference. He just did it quietly and gently, and he was concerned for my soul. And because yeah. he did it, respecting me and giving me the right to privacy to talk one-on-one, -on -one, he said, I, I, I took seriously what he said, and I, I did change my direction, and I became pro-life, and I got my marriage in order. He said, but had he gone publicly against me or embarrassed me in public, I probably would have gotten my back up. But yeah. uh, maybe something to that about Bishop McGovern and Cardinal Cook, yeah. who... Maybe that's why people uh, consider Cardinal Cook to be a saint. You yeah. know, he was, he was able <laughs> right. to transcend those issues and uh, and still maintain a healthy dialogue with people. And and Governor Carey was, you know, another good Catholic who eventually came around again, as you mm -hmm. say, and uh, reconciled his thinking with the church. So, uh, you know, I wish Governor Cuomo had done the same thing, but <laughs> unfortunately, no, no. it wasn't in the in, in the works. You know what? I asked the question of uh, Governor Kerry, why did you change direction? And he said, because I'm getting older, I'm going to die, and I know I'm a sinful <laughs> guy, and I don't want to go and have him say to me, you knew the truth, but you didn't speak the truth. So let me speak the truth now. That was a now, wise for those man. Who, those who don't know about Chasing Church News, there are parts of this book where Ed Wilkinson talks about the fact that a story like 9-11 takes them through the night till they get the, the issue to bed uh, yes. of the tablet. I mentioned that, Ed, because... Uh, People might not know, but this is not bachelor Ed Wilkinson. This is married man Ed Wilkinson. That's right. So at home is Sheila. I'm just wondering, how do you put in the hours you have to put in to have the life of the tablet, be an editor in Catholic journalism, and at the same time be present to your wife and family? Well, there's no doubt about it. You uh, you know, your spouse has to be very understanding. And, uh, <laughs> you know, when, when my wife and I met, I already had been the editor of the tablet, so uh -huh. she kind of knew what she was getting into, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
but she's always was very good about that. I mean, there were times, there were weekends that I had to be out. There were evenings during the week I had to be out because yeah. that's just the nature of the beast. You have to be out, uh, you know, covering things. And she was always very understandable. And uh, I got to say, she was an attorney herself. So sometimes mm-hmm. she worked late hours and I had to be understanding about her hours. Right, also. right, right. So it, no. it just worked with us. You know, you, you've got to be able to respect each other's uh territory and allow people to be themselves and we've been married 33 years now and uh you know it's it's just been it's been very very good we've understood each other and uh, we've been able to support each other you know in what we do so she's always very understanding of the time that even now even though i'm retired sometimes she'll look at me and she'll say aren't you retired you know (laughs) you really have to go to this or that because you're so busy all the time yeah yeah yeah, but she she understands and that's uh you know, that's a great gift to have, uh, you know. Now, uh, Ed, I'm going to presume that the, unlike half the couples that I marry now, you guys didn't meet online. How did you meet Sheila? <laughs> <laughs> well, we actually met on stage. Uh, my oh. wife is a very talented person, and uh, she was singing the lead role uh, with the Diocesan Theatre Guild in The Sound of Music. She was playing Maria, and I had brought a couple of my nephews, and uh, they were uh, performing in the same show, and I was working on the stage crew. And Monsignor Joe Fanaro, who was the uh, mm-hmm. the head of the theater guild at the time, he said to me, I've got a girl you've got to meet, you know. And I said, just leave me alone, Monsignor. I'm very happy, you know, do what I do. And <laughs> <laughs> but he he was persistent, thank God, and uh, he kept throwing us together, and it, it eventually it just clicked. And... Uh, but she was she, uh, you know, she she was on stage there and she performed in Sound of Music and also Showboat, had the lead okay. roles, a beautiful voice. And, uh, you know, how can I not be enthralled? So you married Maria Von Trapp, huh? I did. People always say, <laughs> yeah, I'm up, you know. <laughs> now, I, I want to ask you, Ed, this is a deeply personal question, but I love the book. But what I got a kick out of in the book, and for our, our watchers and listeners, there's a picture of young Ed Wilkinson many years ago. So it leads me to my question, Ed, that for all of us, if we're lucky enough to still be alive, we're aging all the time. What, what's your perspective on aging? Does it bother you or not at all? You know, it's it's just a number. You know, yeah. I, I mean, I don't feel any different than I did 20 or 30 years ago. I uh, Sometimes I have to watch myself. I have to remind myself that I'm not uh, 30 or 40 years old anymore. <laughs> And I do have to take it a little easier, but, you know, I, I still have that same enthusiasm for, I, you know, when I see a story breaking, I want to run to the office. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. It, it happened recently when uh, when Pope Benedict passed away. My mm-hmm. first thing was to uh, get in the car and go to the office. And I said, wait, I don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, as, as long as you have the enthusiasm for something that you do, I mean, I loved what I did for a living and I got paid mm-hmm. to do something that I loved so much. And it wasn't really work to me, you know, it was really part of who I was. So uh, I just loved it. And when you have that kind of enthusiasm, you know, for, for what you do, age doesn't really mean anything. Uh, it's just a number as people say, and that, and I really do feel that I'm going to be 75 next month. And, okay. uh, you know, I, to me, I used to think 75 was old. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, you, and you you, like you touch anymore. on that. You say that yeah. in your book. I love that that when Ed Wilkinson got the call from the editor saying we got a job for you here at the tablet, he started right. working. He started working without even knowing what they were paying him, if they were paying him. But he just loved the That's call right. to do that work. Now I got to ask you, as a faithful Catholic guy, 
who's worked with and in the church for a long time. I often wonder when people are uh, professionally working in the church, how they give perspective to the times when the church heartbreakingly disappoints. And I got to ask you, how in the world did you process the years of embarrassment and shame of the scandals? Mm-hmm. It's still uh, it's still very painful, you know. Yeah. Uh, as I as I said before, I was in the seminary, so uh, mm-hmm. I was uh, I know a lot of these guys personally who who wound up having problems and and were dismissed yeah. from active ministry. And to me, it I was I was very surprised at the time. And yeah. and I've said to people, I say, you know, when you go to work for the church, you don't go there to find your faith. You better have a strong faith when you get involved. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't have a strong faith, it's you're not going to survive, you know. Because you yeah. see behind the scenes, and sometimes it's not pretty. But uh, uh, you just have to hold on to your faith, believe what you believe, and uh, and you know, see that there's there's a way through this. That, that God has a plan somehow through all this. But it was very disappointing and and very hurtful. Sure. Still, when you see some things, you know. I said the other day to somebody, I said, "Do you think we're ever going to get through this?" Are we ever going to get over this? And uh, But uh, yeah. you've got to maintain your own faith. And final question. Chasing Church News, why did you write it, and how do people who listen to or, or watch a show like this get hold of this beautiful book? Mm-hmm. Well, I wrote it because uh, people kept saying to me, boy, 50 years in the Catholic press, you should write a book. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I said, you know, I've been collecting these photos for 50 years because the part of the photography part of the profession was really one of my passions. And, and I felt I had a good collection of photos. And I said, I think I can tell the story of the past 50 years uh, of who the church was during this time through photos. And I just collected all the photos. It took a lot of time to do it. Believe me, going back and finding these files and going through them and, and putting the pictures together. So I put it together because I wanted to show, give a snapshot of the Catholic Church in Brooklyn and Queens over the past 50 years. And it gives people a sense of their Catholic identity. You know, this is who mm-hmm. we are as Catholics, and this is what we did in the last 50 years. Right. And so that's why I did it. Uh, I'm uh, doing a series of uh, book signings right now. I'm visiting mm-hmm. parishes around the diocese on Sunday mornings. Mm-hmm. People can buy the book there, or they could go to the tablet website, and they can order the book online. Okay. So uh, I was in... Our Lady of Angels in Bay Ridge yesterday, and we sold 25 uh-huh. copies of the book. Good, good, good. <laughs> I signed every one. It was a great, it was a, a labor of love. <laughs> I want to thank Ed Wilkinson for being with us and personally speaking. He is a, a great Catholic layman who has given so much to the church. And what we're talking before about Bishop McGovero and about Bishop McGann, uh, you are the same kind of guy. Ed, you know, you, you're welcoming to people. And even if you disagree with their point of view, you're never a disagree- disagreeable guy. And you seem to respect everybody, whether they agree with you or not. And you're just a wonderful human being and and a great Catholic representation of the church in so many ways. So I encourage our listeners and readers to get Chasing Church News. And uh, maybe Ed will come right to your home to sign it. But please (laughs) think about that. Ed, uh, it's been years since I've seen Sheila, but please give her my best. You are uh, a wonderful man. Great to talk to you. Great to see you. As we end today's program, I want to thank you all for being with us. If you need to contact me, you can reach me at personallyspeakingpodcast at gmail.com. Any shows you want to see or watch, you can go to YouTube and search on the Personally Speaking with Monsignor Jim Lasanti. Watch the shows and please hit like and subscribe. We're also on Facebook at Personally Speaking with Monsignor Jim Lasanti. We're also now on Instagram at Personally Speaking Podcast. 
I'm privileged to serve as host and executive producer. Personally speaking, our producer is Lisa Jandovitz. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be with you again next time on Personally Speaking.